We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. I'm not a cocky person. I'm just passionate. Final round. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for a new podcast partner immediately. Quarantine and chill. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome into this week's episode of the Music City Audible, presented by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I'm your host, Justin Graver, and with me, as always, is your other host, Justin Mello, the Justin and Justin Show. Justin, how are you doing tonight? I am well. Excited to uh, flush the last game down the toilet and talk about this one coming up here on Sunday. Yes, I am indeed as well. We are going to flush that game as in not really talk about it very much at all because Friday's here and that means it's time to preview the next game, which happens to be a huge bounce back opportunity for the Titans against division rival Jacksonville Jaguars. Now the Titans won 33 to 30 the last time these teams played. Different quarterback now for Jacksonville. Titans defense is pretty different also in terms of personnel. We'll get into all that, but let's start off with some news and notes here. Isaiah Wilson, what a disappointment. His season is not technically over. He's He'd be eligible to come back for week 17 if the Titans feel he's ready. I doubt they will feel he is ready for all intents and purposes. His rookie season has been ended as the Titans place him on the non-football injury list. What what is going on with Isaiah Wilson? Is this the biggest miss in the John Robinson era? I mean, right now it certainly appears that way. We'll have to see what happens next season with him because I agree with you, although his season isn't technically done. Um, if the Titans can keep him on this list for the rest of the year, which you have helped clarify that they they can, then they're absolutely going to leave him on this list for the rest of the year. I, I don't expect him to come back. Um, obviously, you know, the worst rookie season imaginable. I mean, it, it would have been a lot better if he played and sucked, right? Truth be told, than I, I would think than this. I mean, I guess this leaves the hope still that he's a good player, but um, it, it, obviously a, a disaster, just such a disappointing rookie year. I feel bad for saying it because part of you wonders, you know, what's going on with him personally. All, everything seems to point to this is more a human issue than anything else. Um, we don't know the exact reason they place him on the NFI list, but they continue to say that, um, you know, it's personal issues. He's missed practices this year with quote unquote headaches. You know, who knows what that means, but obviously there's a lot of things that point to this being that Isaiah Wilson is struggling on a personal level. Um, and, and that's tough because, and truthfully, it's tough to decide whether you want to hold him accountable for that. Cause look, mental health is, is a very real thing. And if he's struggling with that, then prayers to him uh, at the same time, you know, uh, Gentry who, uh, who writes for the Tennessee and he wrote a great article the other day. Um, you know, re- talking to Isaiah Wilson's, um, you know, high school football coach and his college coach, the legendary Sam Pittman, who I had a chance to interview after the Titans drafted Wilson. And I did a, f- a fun little story with him. But, you know, they discussed what's going on with him. And, and not only is everyone shocked, but they point to perhaps immaturity um, leading to this. You know, you look at a, a guy leaving the college scene where you're pretty much babied, especially at a program like Georgia, where by all intent and purposes, you're babied from A to B. Um, to, to go into the NFL and having a, not only having a real job, but getting paid lots of money to do it. You know, going from a broke, quote unquote, broke. Most college kids are broke. And that's why I use that word. Going from a broke college kid to a, a very uh, rich person. 
you know, is it mental health? Is it immaturity? Look, we, we don't know at the end of the day, but obviously this has been a very, very uh, disastrous rookie season for him. Indeed. And you really hate it for him. The guy, of course, you hate it for the Titans because they didn't really add any players of note this offseason that can help, you know, take what was an AFC championship contender to the next level. You, you don't have the chance to do that now. So hopefully you're just relying on the players on the team, the rookies who drafted last year, like A.J. Brown and Jeffrey Simmons, to take that next step because you're not getting contributions from this year's draft class at all, nor the free agent class, really. The only person that's contributing really is Jack Crawford just be, by being a body. And then you got Desmond King via trade who's helped a lot, but it's really tough. I mean, obviously Ty Sambrello was in for a little bit, but he's been, you know, he's injured and out for the year. And David Quisenberry has actually been a bit better than him, even though Miles Garrett got the better of him a couple of times last weekend. But I also want to talk about Adoree Jackson, who's finally returned to practice. He was limited on Wednesday, limited on Thursday. I would expect he'll be limited again on Friday. Who knows? Maybe he'll turn in a full practice because Friday, sometimes a lighter workload day. But I expect this is part of like a ramp up program. Remember, he hasn't practiced in over a month before this week, even though he was designated to return from IR. And then three weeks later, he was activated from IR to the active roster, but didn't practice for a long time. So you definitely expect that he ramps up I don't think we'll see him against Jacksonville, but he could return to get his feet wet under him against the Detroit Lions. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think we'll see a Dory Jackson this week, but it's nice to have him practice two days in a row. I don't know, you know, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know if he's done that all year long. You know, he had a couple of instances where he practiced on Wednesday and, and didn't practice on Thursday, but uh, it's nice to see him get two practices in a row. And I agree with you that I think he's close. Uh, I don't think it'll be this week. And um the Titans may have a bit of a cornerback issue entering this game, and I don't think we're paying enough attention to that uh, as a fan base right now because, as you mentioned, I can't imagine that Adoree Jackson plays in this game. Um, Breon Borders, who's been starting in his place on the outside, popped up on the injury report with a hip issue this week, uh, and we have reason to believe it's it's not something that he's just going to put past them uh, in a day or two and play on Sunday. So you're looking at Adoree being likely out. You're looking at Borders likely being out. Christian Fulton's still not on the 53-man roster. I know they designated him to return a while ago, and, and they opened up that 21-day practice window, but he hasn't returned to the roster yet. Uh, and neither has Kareem Moore, who they recently designated to return as well. You're looking at four cornerbacks um, who are probably going to be out for this game. What does that mean? Who starts on the outside? If that really is the case, I think you're looking at either Ty Smith uh, starting on the outside, who hasn't started to see, since he had a disaster game early in the season, or you're looking at maybe Chris Jackson, um, who they activated today from the COVID-19 reserve list, and he was added back to the active roster. So uh, I think you know, you're know you entering this game potentially with a serious, sort, uh, serious shortage at cornerback. And it's not the most threatening wide receiver, wide receiving core on the other side of the field there in Jacksonville, but DJ Chark is a player you got to watch out for. Colin Johnson has been coming on over the last few weeks. Keelan Cole, LaVisca Chenault, a playmaker in his own right. So there are guys there that, that can threaten. So it may not you may not think of them as the best receiving core, but that doesn't mean they're a bunch of scrubs. Did, did you see what the Cleveland Browns just did to them? Did the Tennessee Titans have a right to take any offense not seriously? It feels like any offense on any given week can come in and, and, and put up points on this team. So, I mean, and, and I disagree in terms of 
the Jacksonville group, I, I think DJ Chark is a very good football player. I don't think he's, you know, just the play. I think he's a hell of a receiver. Uh, Colin Johnson has led the team in receiving the last two weeks. He's a huge red zone target. I think Keelan Cole's a pretty, pretty good receiver in his own right. And Chenault is, is, a, is a playmaker in every sense of the word. So again, maybe I'm too pessimistic, but I think there's a good chance that this Jacksonville offense can put up some points on this Titans team, healthy or not. And they're not every, healthy. Everybody puts up points on this Titans team. We'll talk right. about that in just a second. I want to get into one other bit of news here, which is, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say I'm concerned about A.J. Brown's status for this game. Let me tell you why. So there is good news. Johnny Smith, Roger Saffold, Ben Jones, all, uh, all return to full participation on Thursday. So expect them to be fully back and ready. But Johnny Smith stands out to me because was nursing an ankle issue for a little bit. Didn't practice at all last week with that ankle issue. Didn't play last game against Cleveland. Now, A.J. Brown went down in the first half of Sunday's game against Cleveland with some sort of ankle issue. Trainers out on the field looking at his ankle. He was eventually able to walk off the field and then play and finish the rest of the game. But could tell it was kind of hurting him. And now he hasn't practiced this week. And it's normal for A.J. Brown not to practice on Thursdays. We'll see if he returns to practice on Friday, but there's something in my gut that just kind of tells me that the way this staff has been, the way they held out Johnny Smith last week, and he's now returned to a full participation against a team like the Jags. I know you don't want to overlook any team in the league, but the Jags have lost 11 straight games for a reason. We could see a situation here where AJ Brown is possibly held out of this game just, you know, for precautionary reasons and for to make sure he's healthy for the stretch run and the more importantly, the playoff run. Are you concerned at all about this AJ? It's also the third, the third different injury he's been listed on the report with this season. His knee, his hip last week, and now an ankle. So sorry, turning it over to you about AJ Brown. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, it's tough because I feel like, again, you know, they do give a lot of maintenance days. So that's not, it's not abnormal right now um, that, he, that he's received a couple of days off. Is it, is it a, a, a real injury issue? Is it maintenance days? It's, it's hard to say, right, especially with how secretive uh, Mike Vrabel is. But with that said, I, I agree that this is a Jacksonville team that, yes, they can't overlook, but have lost 11 games in a row. So if you're going to give A.J. Brown a week off at, at some point, I mean, there's no time like today, right? There's no, t- there's, you know, no time like the present. And given how well Corey Davis is playing over these last few weeks, I think you can more or less afford to go a game without AJ Brown, especially getting yak beast, John U. Smith back to maybe play kind of a dump it off to him and let him pick up yards type of role in this game. And speaking of Corey Davis, I mean, if I asked you who was leading the Titans in receptions and in receiving yards, would you guess it was him? You know what? It, kudos to Corey Davis because no, I, I would have guessed it was AJ Brown if I didn't know that it was Corey Davis. I do know that it's Corey Davis, but right. no, you 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 would guess it's AJ Brown. But what a terrific, terrific season Corey Davis has put up, and of course he did. It's a contract year. And what do you think? I mean, Mike wrote a, a piece about this for Broadway Sports Media recently. Mike famously predicted Corey Davis to out receive AJ Brown this season back on F Word Spod before the year started. But what do you think about the idea that Corey Davis could be retained? I'm, you know what, Adam Humphreys, I don't know if this is a hot take or not. I don't know if, if everyone loves Adam Humphreys or not, but I'm kind of souring on Adam Humphreys, you know. I I think he's a reliable chain moving guy when he's on the field, but the Titans paid him $36 million, not fully guaranteed, but $36 million to come in. He's only played what 19 of 29 games, something like that. Like, 
that's not enough for what they're paying him. And his production, even when he's on the field, I mean, he has less receiving yards this year than Anthony Ferkser. I know he's played five less games, but Anthony Ferkser is not a huge part of the of the passing attack. So, And he's not eating that, up nearly as much of the cap as Adam Humphreys is. Exactly. And when you can talk about saving $4.5 million against the cap, yes, there's a slight penalty if you cut Humphreys, but overall you save $4.5 million and maybe pay that money to Corey Davis to keep him around. It's an intriguing possibility. Do, yeah, do yeah. you think Corey Davis is in a Titans uniform next year? I, I still think that's such an incredibly difficult question to answer. I, I think it has more to do with what Corey Davis wants to do. Because entering this season, I think we all agreed that this is Corey Davis' last season in Tennessee. There's no way they're bringing him back. I've certainly moved off that edge at this point. He's playing so well. You'd have to think the Titans are going to be interested in bringing him back unless they fully believe it's a contract year. We're not buying into this. Let him go get paid somewhere else. I don't think they're going to feel that way because I think they've always really liked Corey. And I think they're happy to see the results um, that he's producing, you know, how he's producing on the field right now. So I think the Titans are going to have interest in bringing him back. It'll depend on what the market looks like for him. Uh, again, you know, Mike has pointed in that great article that Mike wrote, the salary cap could be, it could be 175 million. That would be catastrophic. It's more likely to be around 195, it seems. Um, if that's the case, then you got a little more wiggle room. Look, even if it is 195, which is best case scenario, the Titans are still going to have some difficult decisions to make. I don't think we can qualify uh, Jadavion Clowney as a difficult decision anymore. I think it's pretty obvious they're going to let him walk. But Daquan oh, Jones. I don't know if that's necessarily okay. the case because, uh, only no, no, no. because I'm not listening to you rant about Jadavion Clowney any <laughs> longer. I've already put up with it for eight months. It feels like eight months or it's longer. The guy got zero sacks. If you're going to rant about Jadavion Clowney, I'm going to rant about Tazar Skipper because they got the same amount of sacks this year. Here's the only thing I'll say is that Clowney's market is going to be nil. I mean, if you thought his market was tough last offseason, he's still got 15 million from the Titans. I think this year his market is going to be absolute trash. Nobody, nobody's going to really, I mean, who knows? Maybe the Saints will. The Saints have no money at all. So, this, I mean, the Saints are $100 million over the cap. So, he's not going back to New Orleans. Maybe the Seahawks are like, hey, come play for us for $4 million. I mean, what, what's his market realistically going to be in a year where the cap's expected to drop after he's coming off a three-sack season and now coming off a zero-sack season that he couldn't even make it through because of this meniscus tear in his knee after he hasn't been to training camp in, like, three years? I think that's his problem, by the way. If this guy would just go to training camp, like maybe you'll enter the season in football shape and not be injured throughout the year because you'll actually, your body will be ready. I do agree with you, sorry. I should pump the brakes a little. I don't think the chances are zero that the Titans bring Jadavion Clowney back, but I do think if they do make an offer to him, I agree, he's not going to be happy with the numbers he's going to see from any, in my opinion, you're right. I think his market is going to be pathetic. I mean, maybe he just hangs it up at this point because as someone who's obviously chased every single dollar he can get on the open market for several years now, the numbers I imagine are going to be pathetic unless there's a stupid NFL team out there. And there are lots of stupid NFL teams, but even still, I can't imagine 5 million might be the max. I don't even know if the Titans be willing to pay 5 million. I I could see Titans coming in around four, four and a half. And Vic Beasley got nine and a half. So you never know. Uh, Beasley had a 16 sack season to what, two years ago? No, 2016, four years ago. Okay, fair regardless, I mean, I, I don't know. I think Clowney's market is going to be pathetic. And if I'm the Titans, yeah. I'm sorry. If it's not pathetic, see ya. I'm not paying I him. I wouldn't even pay him $6 million a year. I don't I, 
I fully agree. I mean, after what he's done for you, you, you can't turn around and show the locker room that you'll reward him with any kind of big contract. But again, I mean, what's he really going to command? This all goes back to Corey Davis. I think they do sign Corey Davis. You, If you had to just bottom line it, no analysis, yes or no, is Corey Davis back next year? What would you say right now? I'm going to say yes. I've changed I mean, my opinion. We kind of got sidetracked there because your love affair with Jadavion Clowney came back up and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> but... What I was trying to say is the Titans have difficult decisions to make this offseason. If you want to quantify Clowney as that, sure. Corey Davis is a difficult decision. John New Smith, I think I don't think it's a difficult decision because I think he'll be back, but it's still going to be money that they have to pay. Uh, Daquan Jones, Desmond King, they got a lot of difficult decisions to make. They're not going to have a ton of cap room. Back to your original Adam Humphreys point, uh, I, I, I think you have to cut him. I do. I, I don't think you have enough money to go around. Look, it's a good problem to have. You're a good football team. These are the problems that arise when you're a good football team. But when it comes to Adam Humphreys, you don't have money to waste. And, and, and waste may be a strong word, but he's like you said, he's played 19 out of 28 games. He's been injured. It just hasn't worked out. He's not, you know, the, the production does not match the dollar amount. And John Robinson, as we know, typically, you know, has not been willing to hold on to guys where the production doesn't match the dollar amount. We saw him move on from Logan Ryan and Jarrell Casey and several others throughout his tenure here. You know, they were, they were quick to move on from DeMarco Murray when the time came. So uh, that four and a half million dollars, it doesn't sound like a lot of money, but when you're a team that doesn't have a ton of cap space and have a lot of good, good players you'd like to resign, then that four and a half million dollars is a lot of money. And you're, it's certainly better utilized on paying half of Corey Davis's contract or 35% of it, 40% of it for a one-year deal, which I think is realistic given that the cap is going to be so much higher in 2022, not to get into that. But I think you see a lot of guys signing one-year deals this offseason so they can get another bite at the apple when the cap shoots through the roof. And Corey Davis strikes me as a guy that that would make sense for. And that, and I'm not saying that he'd be do, doing the Titans a favor. Someone said that to me on Twitter. Well, why would Corey Davis do the Titans a favor and, re, and sign a one-year contract? No, 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 no. I agree. Corey Davis isn't going to do the Titans any favors. Agents and professional football players are not here to do favors and take hometown discounts. No. If Corey Davis signs a one-year deal to come back to Tennessee, he'd be doing himself a favor at getting him an opportunity to you know, sign somewhere else in 2022 when every team is going to have a boatload of cash to spend. And a lot of fans might say, why re-sign Corey Davis when you look at this year's receiving class? You could you know, do what the Vikings did, how they let Stefan Diggs walk or, or trade him for a first-round pick. Titans could let Corey Davis walk and try to find their own Justin Jefferson. But wouldn't you rather get rid of Adam Humphreys, bring Corey Davis back and try to draft someone that can fill Adam Humphreys role in the draft, not spend such high capital when you really need to beef up your pass rush. That defense needs a lot of help. And the receiving class has a guy like Elijah Moore, who's super close with AJ Brown, who you wouldn't really spend a later pick because he's going to go early, but you know, he's a, he looks like a slot guy that could fill the role and, and be way more explosive than Adam Humphreys, who, like I said before, reliable chain mover, but he's not picking up lots of yards after the catch. In a perfect role, I'll tell you what I would do. I don't know, you know how realistic this is going to be, but I would like to draft a receiver that is versatile enough to play both in the slot and on the outside. Because what I would do, is, is re-signing Corey Davis to a one-year contract. Look, if you can get Corey Davis at a good price for three or four years, then by all means, go ahead and sign Corey Davis for three or four years. I do think it's more realistic where he comes back on a one-year deal, so I'll discuss that scenario. Ideally, you re-sign Corey Davis to a one-year deal, and you draft a receiver 
that is versatile enough to play both in the slot and on the outside. Look, when A.J. Brown came into the league, a lot of people thought he was a slot-only guy. And he's proven he could play on the outside. So if you can get someone that can do both, you draft a rookie, you play him in the slot as a rookie, and you groom him to replace Corey Davis on the outside in 2022 if he ends up going to get a big contract elsewhere. Another reason I agree that I, I don't think it's as simple as letting Corey Davis walk and trying to draft, you know, find Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson doesn't come around every single day. It's not always that simple where you draft a rookie receiver and he's immediately ready to step in and fill this huge void. Is Jerry Judy having a terrific rookie season? Is Henry Ruggs having a terrific rookie season? Is Jalen Rager having a terrific rookie season? Most of the time, that's not the way it works. A lot of receivers need time to adjust to the league, like most rookies do. So ideally, you, you know, you're still in a win-now window. If you let Corey Davis walk and you draft a receiver to fill his shoes, those are really big shoes to fill as a rookie. So that's why I'm not a fan of that scenario. I think you double down. I think you bring Corey Davis back on a one-year deal, but you still draft a receiver early as his long-term replacement. I'm with you 100%. And, and you don't have to draft that receiver that early, which I think was my point, if you keep Corey Davis, because you know you can count on Corey Davis. Whereas, like you just said, you can't count on a rookie you hoped that they make plays for you, but you can't count on them. All right. Any other news you want to touch on, or should we move on to Jacksonville? Let's move on to the Jags, baby. So I'm doing my statistical comparison for my scouting the opponent report. And I got to say, it is super close. I, I don't know if you guys have ever looked at this article I write every week. It's for Broadway Pros. The statistical report is above the pay line, though. So anyone can view this on a weekly basis. I write this up. There's a lot of statistical categories here talking total yards, passing yards, rushing yards, total points, yards allowed, pass yards allowed, rush yards allowed, points allowed, turnover differential, point differential, third down conversions, third down defense, penalty yardage, DVOA, weighted DVOA, offense DVOA, defense DVOA, special teams DVOA, run DVOA on offense, pass DVOA on offense, run DVOA on defense, and pass DVOA on defense. It's a lot of statistical categories. The Jags lead the Titans in two of these categories. This is a huge mismatch on paper. But football games are not played on paper, and especially division football games. And I actually hate that this is the case for the Titans because I almost feel like they lose out on an advantage. It's not like going to play the Jets because these divisional games, anything can happen. And I just want to see if you can guess which two categories, you're going to get one for sure, which two categories the Jaguars rank higher than the Titans in? They're better on defense. <laughs> third down defense is... Third down defense. Tennessee is the 32nd best, so obviously. And there's one other tiny little metric here the Jags lead in, so we don't waste anyone's time. I'll just tell you, special teams DVOA. You probably could have got that if you were looking at the list of options. Special teams DVOA and third down defense. Every other stat, Titans are better. Why should the Titans fans, why should, what, what makes it so the Titans don't win this game 40 to 42 to 20, like they did in week 12 against Jacksonville last year? I mean, the Titans should win this game relatively comfortably, even if Jacksonville put up a, a good amount of points. Like I said, they're, they're not, again, they've lost 11 in a row, but they don't strike me as a team that have quit. Right. I mean, they took a, a pretty decent Minnesota team that should have beaten Titans earlier in the year to overtime last week. A Minnesota team that's, you know, been on a bit of a win streak. They've certainly been hot since they started the season, I think, 0 and 4. 
uh, a team that's still battling for a playoff spot and, and has a chance to get in. Jacksonville took them in overtime last week. So this is not a team that's quit. Uh, they're obviously not surrounded by a ton of talent and they, and they have some injuries. There's a lot of young guys playing and they're on what their third quarterback of the season, but it's not a team that's quit. And Mike Glennon, I know it's shocking, but Mike Glennon's played pretty okay since he's taken over for uh, Jake Lutton and Gardner Minshew. So this is, the Titans should win this game. Don't get me wrong, but I agree when you say 20 points. Yeah. I don't think the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to put up three points or 10 points. They're probably going to put up at least 20. Heck they played in week two and it was 33 to 30. Yeah. And I think Mike Glennon is the best quarterback on this roster. I think the only reason he didn't play sooner is because the Jags wanted to see if these other guys on the team could be franchise quarterbacks. They have since decided that Jake Luton and Gardner Minshew are not franchise quarterbacks. There was a rumor that Gardner Minshew was begging for another chance to play. But what's interesting, you point out, they have been competitive. They've been especially more competitive since inserting Mike Glennon. And you talked about last week against the Vikings, two weeks ago against the Browns, who just stomped all over the Titans in their own stadium last weekend. The Browns won that game, I think, what was it, 27-25, Jags had a two-point conversion with like 2.15 to go in the game that they failed to convert and failed to recover an onside kick. Otherwise, if they convert a two-point conversion there, that game could go to overtime too, unless Cleveland comes down and has a chance to come down and win it. But, I mean, they played the Browns way better than the Titans did just two weeks ago. So the, the reason these stats are so bad, I think, is skewed. It doesn't reflect the Jaguars of the last two weeks, the Mike Glennon-led Jaguars. It reflects the Gardner Minshew and the Jake Luton Jaguars who got crushed 27 to three to the Steelers one week before Glennon played them really, really tough against Cleveland. So yeah, as a Titans fan, I would be very concerned that this team is going to come in and put up or that the Titans are going to go to Jacksonville and have 30 points hung on them again. And it'll kind of be like a race to 35 or more. Can the Titans offense do that against Jacksonville's defense? Well, yeah, they should be able to, but if they have all the, the, problems they faced last week failing to convert early on fourth down failing uh or fumbling the ball on the first play of a possession deep in their own territory like those things can crush you against a team like a division opponent that's hungry is playing with nothing to lose that wants to play spoiler against their maybe their biggest division rival against a team that derrick henry has embarrassed repeatedly i mean I Jacksonville's going to be fired up for this game. So I, this is by no means an easy win. Tennessee's favored by seven points. I think that line is way too high. This feels like a four and a half point type line is where I think it should be. And I think it's going to be a pretty high scoring affair too. Cause I don't think the Jags defense can stop anyone either. I agree. I think there's a good chance that both teams put up a, a good amount of points, good amount of points in this one, but ultimately I'll be pretty shocked if the Titans don't walk away with this victory. I, they definitely should, but it's the type of game where you you simply can't overlook it. And by the way, losing 12 games in a row, I know the Jets just did it. Jets are the only team in the league that have done that this year, right? So losing 12 games in a row is not easy to do. Like you have to have continually be really bad and things have to go against you over and over and over again. Like the Titans winning by a last second field goal in week two, you know, that was the start obviously of their losing streak. So it could take another game like that. And do you trust the Titans kicking game to go win a game? Obviously, Goskowski's done it a few times this year already, but you know, then you have games like Denver where everything goes wrong, or Pittsburgh where he misses the potential game game tire to go to overtime. So, I don't know. Well, I, you can't trust that very much. I'm not worried about Goskowski right now. He's he's been a bit, in a bit of a groove. I'm I'm way more worried about the Titans' defense than I am the Titans' kicking game. 
So let me tell you why you should have reasons for optimism now. Sorry to scare everyone. Let's switch tracks and talk about optimism. The Titans have bounced back strong before. After their unexpected loss to Cincinnati in week eight, Titans turned around and had one of their best defensive performances in week nine. Granted, that was against the Chicago Bears, but that Bengals game prompted a lot of changes and they were visual changes, like public changes. I mean, we saw Jonathan Joseph, Vic Beasley get cut. Desmond King was traded for. Breon Borders was inserted into a much more prominent role in the lineup. And it felt like they were going to try something new, right? And I don't know how much the scheme really changed. It feels like the scheme didn't really change, but a loss like Sunday's makes you reevaluate what you're doing, right? I mean, 38 points hung on them in the first half. You can't just say, well, we had a bad game, but what we've, what the scheme we're trying still work. I mean, it doesn't, it clearly doesn't work. So that's my reason for optimism is this team's ability to bounce back. They had a good stretch of games after that Bengals game, even though they lost to the Colts, they, their defense looked a lot more improved against the Ravens and in the Colts rematch, it was the defense's best game yet. So yeah, they had a off week last week, but hopefully it gives them a chance to look in the mirror and say, we really, we really need to shape up what we're doing here, which could be the deciding factor for this team down the stretch. So I am encouraged by their ability to bounce back. Do you think the defense makes any big changes this week, or is it more of the same? I'm not expecting any any huge changes. I mean, you know, changes, you know, really to me can only be defined by, you know, we're changing the scheme or we're changing some of the personnel. And I don't think they're really in a position to do either any of those things. I mean, are they going to, who, who are they going to bench? You know what I mean? To start someone else. So you're not changing the scheme. You're not changing the personnel. To me, it, honestly, it's more about pride right? and coaching, right? A lot of these guys are underperforming. Kevin Byard, uh, Rashawn Evans, uh, and several others. So it's more about pride to me than anything. Can they, as you said, you know, we just got 38 points hung on by halftime by a Cleveland Browns offense that's not that good, right? So can these guys look in the mirror uh, and pick it up and say, hey, that hurt our pride and we need to be better and we need to come out stronger. So that's the most interesting thing to me is can they come out and play with some fire and play as a team uh, that got embarrassed last week because that's what happened on defense. They they should be, you know, they were embarrassed. So can they come out and, and play with some fire and start this game on the right foot? Yeah, we will see. I also think Derrick Henry's in line for potential bounce back game. You know, it's D Henber after all. And Henry's lowest output in a December game since December 2nd, 2018 was this last week against the Browns. First December game of this season. It was the first December game against 2018. Do you know who was next on the schedule that week after his first December game of 2018? I'm assuming it was Jacksonville. The Jacksonville Jaguars in that December 2nd game, Henry ran 10 times for 40 yards and he followed that up with his insane Thursday night football performance with four touchdowns, 200 plus yards, four plus stiff arms on one 99 yard run. That huge game came off his previous is actually is what was right now looking through his game logs, his most recent worst December game. So this is his worst game since that one last weekend. How will he respond? Will he respond with another 200-yard output? It's his second lowest total of the season. Earlier this season, he had a 57-yard game against Buffalo, followed that up with 212 yards against division rival Houston. Coming off a 60-yard game against Cleveland, will he explode for another 200 on Thursday night football? I mean, on Sunday, this isn't Thursday night football, but on Sunday against the Jags, a team that he 
you know, he loves going down to Florida. He's from the state of Florida. Played high school at Uly High in Florida near Jacksonville. Going back home, is Henry going to go home and do it to them again? I'm going to say yes for a couple of reasons. Uh, Derrick Henry does not strike me as a type of player that has two bad games in a row. It doesn't happen often. He, heck, he never, you know, rarely has one bad game. So being that he fumbled, we look, we know how much of a competitor is. We know how much fire this guy has inside him. I think he's going to be super upset at himself and, and, and probably too hard on himself. I expect him to come out and, and really be fired up uh, to bounce back. And second, he didn't have a great game against Jacksonville earlier in the year, right? We all kind of looked going into that game and say, oh, you know, Derrick Henry is going to kill Jacksonville. He really didn't. Titans put up 33 points, but they did a good job stopping the run uh, in that game. Most of the damage was done through the air. So when I think of those two things, I think, yeah, I, I do think Derrick Henry is going to come out here and have a terrific game. And just looking back at that week two game, he had 84 rushing yards on 25 carries. It's only a 3.4 yard average. Tannehill threw for four touchdowns in that game, only 240 yards, but again, four touchdowns. So I, I do think Derrick Henry comes back out here on Sunday and has a terrific game. So ultimately, that is kind of what I expect to happen, too. I think Corey Davis could have a big game as well. We saw A.J. Brown score like a 60-something yard touchdown against Jacksonville last year, maybe even longer than that. Again, whether or not he plays is is kind of unclear. Right? It's uncertain right now. We'll learn a lot more with Friday's injury report. But I think to Corey Davis, possible big game again for him. Yeah, I think Corey Davis, uh, again, especially if A.J. Brown is out, like you said, if A.J. Brown is out, then Corey Davis probably sees another 10 to 12 targets, right? Like, you know, like he saw against Cleveland, maybe not that many because they were down by so much. But uh, yeah, if, if, if Brown is out, then Davis has another, I think, monster game here. So let's do predictions then. Let's get into our how we think this game flow is going to go. I, I kind of think it's a type of game where we see Tennessee, like if they start with ball goes down and scores on their opening drive. And we're like, all right, the Titans are back. And then Jacksonville scores. And we're like, well, what's going on? We just let Jacksonville score. And then the offense maybe stalls a little bit. And then Jacksonville scores. And we're like, Oh, what's going on here? This game's getting out of hand. And then Tennessee kind of storms back and takes a big lead. And then their defense is terrible. And Jacksonville storms back and turns into a shootout. And the Titans win 38, 35. I'll say Titans win 34-26. Nice. Well, any last thoughts about this game before we call it a, an episode? No, I, I think that pretty much does it. Uh, the Titans are in a prime, you know, as, as, as bad as the last week has been and as frustrated as everyone is, you know, I'm sure everyone's, you know, very disappointed with that showing in Cleveland, not just the team. I mean, you know, the fan base as well. Titans are in a prime opportunity to move to nine and four, uh, which would equal their win total from the past four seasons, <laughs> uh, each year being nine and seven. So they got a great chance to go out here and get to nine and four. And, and that's really all that matters at the end of the day. That is true. And if they do it, they will lock up their fifth consecutive winning season. And hopefully it's better than a fifth consecutive nine and seven season. Hopefully they get to 10 wins this year. We'll see what happens. Detroit is who we will be previewing when we return next Friday for the week 15 game, the last home game of the season. Hopefully not the Titans last home game of uh, football this year. Well, this year, football year, because hopefully they end up with a home playoff game but we'll be back to preview the lions after they hopefully beat the jags this sunday that is all that will do it for this episode of the music city audible thank you guys for tuning in be sure to check out broadwaysportsmedia.com partnered with 440 sports and we will be back next time you can follow justin on twitter at justin m underscore nfl i am at titans film room again thanks for tuning in and we'll be back until then tighten up
a Broadway sports media production.